Tony Javier with Professional Home Buyers, and he's here to talk about how you went from marketing in phone books to getting a 7x ROI advertising last year on TV. If this is your first time, I'm Steve Trank, sales trainer for some of the top investors in the country, and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. Question I get all the time is how do I become one of the 100 millionaires? The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you will take consistent action, you will become one. If you want to get there faster, send me a message on Instagram, and we'll see if we can help you. Uh, and this show is brought to you by InvestorLift. Get access to over 2 million cash buyers across the country. Be sure to put in disruptors to get 10% off. And if you get value today, please tag a friend below or share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And this is a live show. So please ask your questions for Tony to answer. You ready? Let's do this. All right. So first question is, what got you into real estate? So I've been in the business 21 years now. Now that it's 2022. And uh, I found a guy, or actually he found me on TV, ironically, because we're going to be talking about TV. Uh, he did an infomercial, it was a late night infomercial, and he talked about buying properties with no money down. Carlton Sheets. Oh, yeah. You've heard of him. I'm oh, sure yeah. A lot, of, a lot of the old school real estate guys have heard of him. So he taught uh, you how to buy properties with no money out of your pocket. So I was 20, was I 21 at the time, waiting tables in college, no money, so it's perfect, right? <laughs> It's like uh, it was designed just for you. Totally. He was talking to me. And so uh, so I bought the course. And unlike most people that I've heard bought it, usually they put it on the shelf, don't use it. I just, I took it and ran with it. So um, got my dad to co-sign on first two properties uh, for me. Uh, he put the down payment on one. I was able to do creative financing on the other and uh, been buying properties pretty much no money down since then. Yeah, so you were working as 21 years old. Mm -hmm. and you saw something on an infomercial and you signed up and then you just went full steam. Was it easy? Like, was it just like, man, we got the course and then three weeks later we got a contract or what were some of the struggles? So I think I bought the course in April and I bought my first property in September. So five months, I think that's mm -hmm. fairly fast. Yeah. Um, some people will do it in the first month or two. Some people it takes 12 plus months, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I just, I'm someone that when I like something and do something, I do it full steam, right? Yeah. So it wasn't messing around. I got through that course in a few days, you know? Um, I started making phone calls. Back then, if you wanted to find an off-market deal, you went in the newspaper, yeah. right? So I went in the newspaper, started calling leads. Um, that's how I found, I think, my first two properties at least and um, got in contact with an agent. And she had a property um, and I bought one from her as well. And she talked me into getting my room talked me into getting my real estate license. So that's how I was able to afford uh, making some money and transitioning into uh, real estate full time because I did uh, waiting tables and, and left a little bit early in college, but I was in college. So mm -hmm. I, I uh, was able to sell real estate and afford to transition full time into real estate. Then, then I sold real estate for a couple of years and then gave up uh, the sales side of it and just went into investing full so time. So you, you wore the realtor hat for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, just, right. just to make that quick money. Because the first, actually the first 10 properties I bird. Oh, really? Yeah, so back then that wasn't ta taught that much and that wasn't even a term, I don't think. Mm -hmm. So for those who don't know, that's buy, renovate, uh, rent, refinance, repeat, mm -hmm. right? So I did that in my first 10 properties and uh, used money that uh, a friend had had that invested with me we would use his money, buy a property, fix it up, refinance it, get 100% of our cash out, put it into another. And within, what, a year, year and a half, I had a multiple six-figure net worth. It was crazy. That's pretty incredible. Um, where was this? Wichita, Kansas. So you were living in Kansas at the time. Correct. And you burned 10 properties in your first year. 
It was probably year and a half, yeah. a little more than a year and a half, somewhere around there. Yeah. So how did you, because it wasn't, you know, common, maybe it was common in the investor community, but not, you know, well known today. Mm-hmm. How did you figure out how to do that? I've just always been a, well, not always, I'd say when it comes to business and figuring things out, I've always been creative. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I just, if someone's, and you're probably gonna ask me this later, but what's my superpower? Like I just figure things out. It's not because I'm the smartest person. It's because I'll just grind and, and go and figure out how to do something. Right. Whether it's I do it myself, I hire someone to do it, I hire someone to coach me, you know, I'll just figure it out. So I don't know. I just had this click that like, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of money to play with. So how do I make it last longer? So I, if I remember, I think I talked to somebody that said that if you refinanced a property and cashed it out, that you could get all your cash back out if you had money in it. So... I think I just got the idea maybe for somebody and then mm-hmm. I just figured out how to keep rolling that money over and we still do that to this day. So the first two deals you called in the newspaper, mm-hmm. what was that conversation like? I, mean, I know you said you got a realtor involved. What was that conversation like calling those two houses? Well, the toughest thing for most people starting is just starting and doing it, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people get analysis paralysis. So I'm DISC, I'm a very high D for those who know what that is. That means I'm a driver and I just, I go full steam. Readily apparent. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I just got in, I just picked up the phone. I just, yeah. hey, you got a property? You know, how much do you owe? And just went through the, you know, the script that they kind of taught you to, um, you know, the questions to but ask. But you didn't spend weeks or months mastering that script? No. No. <laughs> I think I looked at it once or twice and I just started making calls. And I think that's something, something that's important, right? Because there are so many people that are like, you know, I need the script. I need the perfect script, right? And we sell scripts, but you don't need that when you start. You can just start calling and just talk to people and eventually you'll find your way there. And the first two that you called were the two houses you bought or there was more? Oh no, I think I called multiple before I found those two, yeah. Okay, so the other thing is, I just wanna kind of pick your brain here, is I think today's social media is very much like the infomercials 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Uh, So you got to get pulled in through infomercials and you get to see today on social media, do you think there's a lot of parallels there? You know what's interesting? I think Carlton Sheets may be the first person that I know that used testimonials in their advertising. So if I don't know if you remember the the commercials, but they I would don't. flash all kinds of numbers up there. Mm-hmm. And then you know, a person would say, man, I, I bought the course, I've been in it for three years, I've bought you know 50 properties, I'm cash flowing, th- 5,000 a month and I have a seven figure figure net worth. Mm-hmm. And they, he has those people that are talking about their success story. And I think that's what people want to see is they want to see success stories. Do you, right. you know, not only does that person know what they're talking about, but how have other people used it and what are their results, mm-hmm. right? So if you go to a good website, they're going to have testimonials. We Like if you go to my website for um, flipping houses, we have at least a dozen videos on our website. We could probably get more, we probably need to, but um, you know, when people know that there's a success story behind it, um, it, it really pulls. So the really good marketers, I guess what I'm getting to is with social media, the really good marketers are actually putting people that um, have gotten success out of mm-hmm. the program as the ad, Yeah. right? Rather than just saying, you know, me coming on and saying, hey, I'm great, check out my program, it's no. Here's Ryan who mm-hmm. made six figures last month and for the last three months on my program and it builds a lot more credibility, right? Yeah, so it's not check out this car. Yeah. All right, so then 
Uh, what were some of your early struggles? I mean, it sounded like you had a lot of success really fast. I think a lot of people that are watching this right now would love to have that kind of success today. What were some of the early struggles? It wasn't just rainbows and unicorns. Oh man, 20 some years. If I could look <laughs> back at some of those times that were hard, it's like, man. Uh, but just like, just like they say, I mean, anytime a door closes or anytime something happens, there's a silver lining, you know? Um, so I look at those and I, I say, man, there's a lot of good things that come out of it. So I compare, I compare a lot my first 10 years to my second 10 years. Mm -hmm. So you say that and it's like, did you have, you look like you had a lot of success. Well, that friend that I, uh, in, that invested with me ended up getting a lawsuit with him. So that took you a, had a lawsuit with him. Yeah. Yeah. So long story short, we didn't have an agreement in writing. Mm -hmm. We started having some success and his dad got in his head of, you don't have anything in writing, you're providing the money, you should get more than 50%. Yeah. So that was my first big lesson is get everything in writing. Anything you do, get anything, get it in writing. Um, he was a friend. He was a friend. Still a friend? He actually apologized after months of going round and round, admitted he was wrong and yeah. you know that kind of thing. So. But I think this is something that's really important for a lot of people right now because they're talking about partnerships. Uh, joint venturing, this and that, and it seems like it'd be easy. It's just like, hey, you know, let's shake hands and we got a deal. Because I'm that kind of guy. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a handshake guy. You know, I actually got what's the word chastised last night for <laughs> for still being that guy, right? But I think that for people that are watching, that I think there's a valuable lesson here. Well, it depends that. on what it is, too, right? Because yeah. if you and I said we're going to promote each other or do something, I could handshake that. Yeah. I mean, we run around with a lot of the same people. Our reputations are on the line, mm -hmm. right? So if I do something to you, it's going to get around, vice versa. Right. Uh, but when it's something like a friend you're going into business with and they're not, or you guys aren't in the spotlight or aren't in a community together where it's going to tarnish your relationship, it's easy for someone to screw someone else mm -hmm. when all you know a lot of other people won't find out, right? right. So it just depends on the situation, yeah. I think. So. Then I guess if you were to do it over again, or you say get it in writing, what would be involved in getting things in writing in a brand new partnership? Oh, it's so simple. I do I do JV partnerships all the time with people. It's very simple. It can be as easy in a, as a one-page document, which I've done before. Mm -hmm. um, there's some times where we do LLCs together um, and we put prop, a property or properties in an LLC. So um, I have formats for some of the things that I do. So I've had an attorney draw it up. And then if we have a certain format, we just plug that in. We don't always need an attorney to, to fill in the blanks. A yeah. lot of it's pretty simple. But there are times where it's more complex. I'll send it to my attorney. We pay him a few hundred bucks to a thousand bucks to put it together. And it's well worth the money because we know it's done right. Right. Um, so parted ways in a bad situation. Uh, did you lose everything? I mean, so you got 10 properties, right? We're talking about in the first year, like you guys are 50, 50 or supposedly 50, 50 mm -hmm. on those 10 deals. Yeah. So when you're saying you had to sue him, we're mm -hmm. talking about those same properties. Well, actually he sued me. Oh, okay. He got an attorney and said, Hey, we don't have anything in writing. I'm providing all the money. I should get more than 50%. Right. Yeah. Go round and round. He writes me at this big letter and apology. Doesn't even call me, mm -hmm. writes me a letter, apologizes, said, you can have all the properties. Just give me my investment back. Perfect. Great. You know, we had hundreds of thousands of dollars of equity in these properties and you want your, I think it was like 50 or 60 grand. So we take that money and, you know, kept rolling it over to different properties and okay. So again, you know, it was a learning lesson. It was tough at the time. Cause I'm thinking, man, I'm early in my career and I'm already getting sued in my first <laughs> partnership. It's not your last lawsuit. No, it's not my last. I'm in a couple right now. It just <laughs> happens. You know, you're in business so long, you need to do enough things. So right? let me ask you this, if you don't mind answering this question. Yeah. How many lawsuits have you been involved in? 
Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't count small claims. So mm-hmm. we have tenants and stuff that, you know. Yeah, disregarding small claims. Oh, we're in two pretty decent sized ones right now that I know I'm going to win. I mean, yeah. I don't want to be cocky about it, but it's just, you know, uh, there's so much evidence against uh, them, their contractors. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, I don't know, six, eight, something yeah. like that. We're, you know, significant enough to talk about. So, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because like the very first lawsuit you get, is like the very first time you get a letter from the IRS and you're like, oh man, this, like, this sucks, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's like, okay, you just get letters from the IRS. Um, well, the very first time you get served, it's awful. Now it's just like, oh, that's just the cost of doing business. You get totally desensitized to it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I've said this before, is that if you're not getting sued, you're not doing enough business. Exactly. And you feel the same way. I say that all the time. <laughs> yep. So, all right. So any other big struggles? Uh, so again, the first 10 years to the second 10 years. Mm-hmm. So the first 10 years, um, there were some successes, right? So... Um, the thing that I didn't do very well in the beginning was I didn't ask for help. There wasn't social media. I couldn't just post a question. Um, I was very introverted at the time. I'm much more extroverted now. Uh, still an introvert by nature. Mm-hmm. Um, there just w- there just wasn't access to communities and things like masterminds, right? So when I did something, I thought if I asked for help, I was weak or I didn't know the hell what I was doing, right? I mean, it's the culture that we're raising at that age, we discussed before the show, like you and I are the same age, mm-hmm. right? Asking for help is not something that you were taught to do. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I just made all the mistakes. I just put my head down and made all the mistakes. So about 10 years ago, maybe eight years ago, I started finding masterminds and coaching and you know some things that I did at a higher level that were support, mm-hmm. right? And that's, I think, where I turned the corner. So 2011, 10, 11, I bought, uh, I, I invested in my first high level coach. It was someone who had a business that ran without him. And when I looked at a flipping business, I said, how do you not meet with sellers? How do you not meet with contractors? Property management, same way. How do you have people managing your properties and paying rent? And I thought, man, if I step out of any of these roles, stuff's going to fall apart. Yeah. Right. Complete opposite. Right. So fast forward about three years later, four years later, that guy didn't necessarily teach me how to do it, but gave me the vision. It's kind of like the four minute mile. Mm-hmm. Once Roger Bannister ran the four minute mile, then you had all these other people doing it. So once I heard you could have a business like that, then uh, it fast forwarded me to that vision of, okay, how can I create a business that doesn't need me anymore? So three to four years later, I was able to step out of my business and move to San Diego, right? Yeah. Go back to your question. I forgot what your question was. Well, we're talking about some of the early struggles, right? Because, you know, yeah. obviously getting sued by a friend is, is a major one, but there were some, must have been some other challenges along the way. Yeah, so that so what made me find coaching was, again, 2010, 2011, I had to fire my whole staff for the second time. <laughs> so I had five people working for me, and within 30 days, I fired all five of them. Uh, performance issues, stealing, and I had two of those employees living in my properties. No, three. I had three. Two maintenance guys and my assistant that was stealing from me. That you didn't know were living in your properties. No, I knew that they were. Okay. They needed help, mm-hmm. right? And at that time, I didn't hire nearly the higher caliber of people I do now. Mm-hmm. So I hired really cheap. I hired anybody who raised their hand and said, hey, I'm ready to go. Okay, let's go, right? Yeah. So you and I talked about screening people earlier mm-hmm. uh, before we started. And um, that took a huge toll on me. Because think about it. Think if five, if five of your staff members left right now, 
I mean, how, the world of hurt. How crucial is that? I I had to go manage all of my properties. We had dozens of properties at that time. Um, I had to meet, you know, take back doing some of the stuff with the contractors. I had to collect rents, deal with tenants. I had to answer the phone. I mean, I had to do everything. And so while financially I was okay, like mentally, that just takes a huge dump on you because you're yeah. like, am I failing? Am I going to continue to stay in business? Right? Is this worth it? Is this worth it? Do I need to go get a job? Trust yeah. me. I, I, you probably asked yourself that at some point. Yeah. First, like, uh, eight years of my career, I was like, what am I doing to myself? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So we're both really <laughs> glad we went, we stuck through it. Right. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Because it just becomes a lot easier once you can handle it better mentally. Right. Right. Like you said, with the IRS letters or the lawsuits, it's like, okay, I'll figure this out. Right. I've done it before. I've gotten kicked in the teeth a few times before I'll figure this out. I always come out better. Right. Yeah. So I guess the point is, is that the first 10 years were just, they were a lot, a lot of struggles. Last 10 years, still some struggles, but mm -hmm. much easier to handle, right? Gotcha. And then one thing that was interesting, because I was asking you before the show, like, you know, what were some of the other things you've done for marketing? So you mentioned a phone book. So talk to me about advertising in the phone book. Yeah, so I had, so when you file an LLC with the state, people can buy that list, mm -hmm. right? So... I get calls all the time because I file LLCs all the time, right? So I had someone call me and they're like, hey, I, I noticed you filed this LLC. I can't remember what the name of it was. It was like Sunset Properties or something like that. Have you ever thought about advertising the phone book? And I said, no, I haven't. I don't think I can afford that. Well, it's not as expensive as you would think. Let's meet. Mm -hmm. So I schedule a meeting with him uh, and I stood him up. Cause I, I was like, I'm not gonna meet with this guy. So he <laughs> was good at following up. He kept calling me and I was like, all right, I'll meet with you. So he pulls the phone book out and he says, I can do this for, I think the first ad was 150 bucks a month. And you know, I'm a college kid, 150 bucks, you know. Uh, okay, 150 bucks, I'll, I'll do it. $150, I can't remember what I did on that. It was like, I don't know, at least 20 to 30 grand worth of business. Wow. Right? Commissions, because I was selling real estate at the time. So it oh. was something about buying your house or selling it, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, you know, so I'd sell houses and I think I bought a couple, maybe a property or two or something like that. So then every year he would say, well, why don't you do more? Why don't you do a $300 ad? Why don't you do a $500 ad? So eventually I was spending, I would say, what was it? About a thousand bucks a month in the phone book. Actually it was more than that. It was 801 and I want to say 600 in the other because mm -hmm. there were two main phone books. So 1400 bucks a month. And I was bringing in well over six figures. It was probably close to, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in business. Pretty good ROI. Off of, yeah, totally good ROI. So you know, we're going to talk about TV. So TV builds a lot of credibility. And that back in that day, if you were in the phone book, you're pretty credible, right? Because people, when they wanted something, they didn't pick up their phone at that time because they Google. didn't have iPhones or Google or Yahoo yeah. or anything. Well, they did have that, but it was very beginning. Yeah. And so you, what you did, you pulled out the phone book, you know, especially older crowd. Mm -hmm. Like I bet you there's still older people that try and pull out. I don't, I don't even know if phone books in circulation. I know it was a couple years ago. But. Yeah. I think, uh, our avatar, it's probably someone that will still use a phone book. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it's interesting. So when did, when did you stop using the phone book or when did, when did the ROI go away? Uh, it started fading off. Um, we were talking about this earlier. I can't remember what it was. I want to say like probably 2010, somewhere in that okay. range. I'm just curious only because I remember, you know, Dan Kennedy, someone that I follow a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a direct response genius, copywriting genius and so on. He's like, you got to advertise in the phone book. And I was like, oh, that's something I'll do one day. But I just never around doing it so that's just that's why i'm just curious because you know when when was the time that i was considering it so all right so you did really well with phone book 
Um, you started in 01, so there was a bit of an issue between 2007 and 2012. Mm -hmm. How did that affect your business? It actually helped it. Okay. It helped it, believe it or not. Um, two different reasons. One is I was in Wichita, Kansas at the time, so that's a Midwest market. So prices didn't go up substantially and they didn't go down substantially. So you didn't get hurt as didn't, much. Didn't get hurt. Or the market didn't get hurt. Yeah. Properties were on the market longer, you know, that kind of thing, but there were more properties to buy. And I and I shifted. I went from just traditional buying of properties to negotiating short sales. So we would have 20 to 30 short sales we were negotiating and hitting them in time. And we were buying redemption rights. Um, uh, so if the property went to foreclosure and it bid low enough, we could redeem the property and buy it for that price. Or we would uh, do a short sale and negotiate to uh, for, for the bank to take less than what's owed. So there was a ton of business to be had. It's just people that um, didn't shift to doing pre-foreclosures and doing short sales probably had a tougher time of finding, you know, finding inventory because people that uh, really jumped on it were, were finding those deals before they would go back to the bank. Oh, absolutely. And then, of course, REOs, once they went back to the bank, if, the you know, you couldn't buy it or, or negotiate, then they'd go back to the bank and there were plenty of REOs on, on uh, the MLS to buy at some yeah. point. Did you, do with, did you work with us as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, MLS used to be like our number one source of business. And I think it was about three or four years ago it shifted. I think it was probably 2017, half of our properties we bought off the MLS. We wow. would just go on and just make a bunch of offers and we get we get a bunch of deals. And then all, all of a sudden within like a year, it just went from like, I don't know, 40 some properties we bought off the MLS in one year. And then the next year it was like five. And now it's like one. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. So uh, going back to, you know, you, you finding the mentor. So you fire everybody mm -hmm. and this, this time you hire a mentor. What was that new evolution or new version of your business? Like how did that, how did you rebuild that? Well, I think it was, it was a mindset thing. I think anything we do is a mindset, mm -hmm. right? So the mindset was basically you can automate your business, number one, and two, you need to find better people in your business. I think those are the two big things that, that I got out of that. And it just changed my mindset in a different traje trajectory. So the first thing I did, the first big move I made after doing that is I called my sister who ran uh, an operation as a, I don't know, she was an operations manager or something like that for a company. And she ran all their ordering. She, she ran all their salespeople. She was basically the hub of everything. Mm -hmm. And so I called her and I said, do you want to come work for me? And so we had lunch and I told her my goals. I said, here's what I want to you do. You recruited your sister over lunch. What's that? You recruited your sister totally. over lunch. All right. Totally. And I told her what I wanted to do. And I said, would you be on board if I offered you the position? She said, absolutely. And it was, I was, pay, I was going to pay her the highest salary, which wasn't that much really at the time. I was going to pay her the highest of anybody I've ever paid before. Right. Cause I was used to hiring people at 10, 12, maybe $15 an hour. Mm -hmm. So to jump up to where I was, you know, what I paid her uh, was well worth it. And now she makes like three times the amount of money, but she runs my operation in Wichita. I mean, yeah. she can manage, right now she's managing, I think it's 15 flip projects right now by herself. As the wow. GC too. Oh, really? Not wow. just, hey, I'm gonna find a GC, it's I'm, I'm gonna get the carpet guy in there, I'm gonna get the electrician, I'm gonna get the plumber. She's I'm managing the subs. She's managing Supply, all the labor. subs, all the, yes. And we just now hired her an assistant to help wow. her with that. 
Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you hire your sister. Yeah. So just level up your game. Just level up my game with the people that I started hiring. So A, start hiring better people. Totally. Okay. So after you hire your sister, then what did you do after that? Um, I think that freed me up a lot, right? So, you know, when I talk to a business owner and they're struggling, one of the first things I, I ask them is, what are you spending most of your time on? Mm-hmm. And they'll talk to me about it. And usually they're, you know, I'm working on project management. I'm writing checks. And, and I'm like, okay, stop, write everything you do in your business, write it down and score it. How, how, uh, how much effect does that have on your business mm-hmm. from a scale of one to 10? And um, how much do you like to do that on a scale of one to 10? The things that are closer to 10, actually, I'm sorry, I do... Um, one, two, and three. So things that are three on your list that are the high, the things that you want to do the most and that bring the most to your business, keep those tight to you for now. Everything that goes below that, try and figure out how to get rid of that, yeah. right? So, you know, I we manage over 100 um, uh, clients' TV commercials. And so I talk to them a lot and a lot of their struggles and, and I get to see it. And one of the things they ask me is, what is the first step you would take to getting things off my plate? And I say, hire a virtual assistant. Hire a virtual assistant to take the mundane tasks off of you that you do every single day. Yeah. That, that, that are mindless, right? You know, like, you know, when someone signs up for TV, we send them calendar invites and we, we, we have this whole checklist we do. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. My sales guy's not doing that. I've got a VA on the back end that does that. Right. And it's very easy. It's automated. Even if she messes it up, it's not a big deal. Right. Yeah. It's a low risk task. Absolutely. It's low, uh, low thinking, low cost, low yeah. effect. Yeah. I mean, it needs to be done because they need to be invited and stuff like that. But if it doesn't happen, it's not going to be crucial to business. Yeah. Right? You're not getting fired. You're not losing tens of thousands of dollars. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So like sales, project management, things like that are pretty important. So figure out how to get transaction coordination. So if we're talking about real estate investing or real estate, even real estate sales, I know real estate investors that are st- still doing transaction coordination that are doing close to hundred deals a year. Oh. And I'm like, do you want to die early? Like, seriously. I mean, those are just checklist items you give them to somebody. If a closing doesn't happen, could it, you know, could the seller back out? Of course, it could be a big deal. But, you know, have them do 90% of it, come in and check their work. And, you know, you're, you're going to free up your time substantially. Yeah. So I think one of the, th- I think there's two different issues at play, right? I mean, one is the ability to give up control. And then the other one is the willingness to hire the right caliber people. So, and you, you had that mindset shift of hiring the right caliber people. Eventually. Yeah. So then the other one is the willingness to give up control. And did you have that issue at all? I did the beginning. So how did you overcome that? So with my sister, I didn't because literally, literally the first day when I sat down with her, I said, let's create a spreadsheet. And she started doing it exactly the way that I would, Mm -hmm. you know, the way she underlined things and capitalized them and organized them. I'm like, oh my God, like you know, it was, ba- it was basically me doing the work. Right. So that, that right there gave me the ability to give up a lot of things to her. Um, and again, a lot of them were low level. They were transaction coordination, collecting mm-hmm. rents, sending out three day notices, stuff like that. Um, but now there are some pretty big things that I delegate out that, right. that if you would have told me 10 years ago, I was delegating out, I'd be like, there's no way, right. There's no way. Uh, I think it just comes with, um, confidence so like when I moved from Wichita, Kansas to San Diego, that was huge because I that was my baby for what, 15 years, mm-hmm. 14, 15 years. 
So to give that up and trust my team to run that without me there putting my eyes on it was really hard. So I think it was like two, three, four weeks later, I made a trip back just to check on things. And then a month later, I'd make a trip back. I'm like, I got, and then eventually it just expanded where I was like, why am I even going back anymore? So during COVID, I'd, I've been back to Wichita, I think, once, maybe twice in the last two years. Yeah. It's because I have a team that I know is going to get stuff done. And you know what? I love managing things from afar because I don't I don't get into little details. Right. Right? Because, you, yeah, there's a little detail here and there that you'll, you'll catch that, like, man, we need to change that. But all the other little things you're looking at just clog your brain up to where now I can focus on higher-level activities and, and not have to be in the mundane, um, everyday uh, aspect of it and you know those got a minute meetings right hey tony you got a minute yeah it's like they can't do that anymore right i can shut my phone off i can you know you know what i'm saying it's, oh, just, you can it's totally so much disconnect. easier to manage it from before so going back then so you, you're building out this operation now you stopped doing the phone book so what was your next thing as far as marketing goes so i did um direct mail at some point i can't remember when i started that um, networking was a huge thing. So back, um, when short sales started becoming prevalent in 08, we did a lot of short sale, um, lunch and learns, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So we get in front of agents, they would bring us their short sale deals. We would do them and pay them referral fee. Uh, they would send us traditional deals. It was a lot easier to get deals from agents, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Oh, yeah. Right yeah. now, everybody and their dog is going to agents saying, bring me deals. And they know they can put them on the MLS and get get more money for them for their clients. So right. it's a lot tougher. Um, so then 2012, um, I went to a poker game. Uh, there was an acquaintance of a friend. And I sit down and this guy walks in and I'm like, I recognize that guy from TV. It's so cool. This guy's from t on TV. He, he owned a remodeling company. So he sits down next to me and uh, I just started shooting the, you know, shooting the crap with him. And I said, how are your, how are your TV commercials doing for you? You know, just kind of curious. And he's like, man, we do $2 million a year of business from our TV commercials. He's like, that's the only marketing we do. And I'm like, you're kidding me. That's crazy. And so I was telling him what I do. And, and uh, he's like, you call my media guy. Mm -hmm. I, think, I, think, I think that could be good for your business too. I don't know. Just call him. You know, it's worth a shot. So his name is Drew. So I called Drew the next day. And uh, within 30 days, I had a TV commercial. So Drew, the media buyer, negotiated uh, with the TV stations. Uh, I did the script because I I know I knew my business pretty, pretty well, so I did the script. Um, he had a production team, so I went in and shot the video. He did the editing and production, mm -hmm. and boom, I'm on TV. So yeah. that's been our bread and butter for the last nine years. We get most of our deals off TV, and it's just, uh, you know, it's about credibility in our market. Pretty much everybody in Wichita, I don't want to say everybody, most people in Wichita know who I am because I've been on TV for nine years now. So I actually go back to Wichita and there's always people that are looking at me or they say, hey, dude, you're the guy from TV, right? Yeah. I mean, people just, when you're on TV, it just builds a different level of... Are you still the guy that's on the commercials today? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So one thing that we've heard is a concern is, and you probably heard this from your, your uh, clients, is like, how can I be the one on TV, but not the one that goes to the house? How does that work? Yeah, I get that question all the time. Yeah. So every once in a while, we'll get some, I don't wanna say crazy person, but someone that's just adamant. I wanna talk to Tony. Like I'm not talking to anybody else, mm -hmm. right? Most of the time, uh, if someone asks for me, I've just taught my team to, to let them know that I'm the business owner. I am helping run the business and service everything that's going on. 
and that they would be the better one to help them. And if I were to help them, it would take longer and they wouldn't not get as good a service, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it would probably just, get less quality. They service. would get less quality <laughs> service for sure. Um, so they, they, they know how to combat that. Yeah. And still every once in a while, my team will be like, this guy's adamant to talking to you. And I'm like, I just, I can't like, you guys can figure it out. Yeah. You know? Um, so was it, uh, comparable or similar, you know, like your, your first ad that goes out and then phone's ringing off the hook or like, was there a roll up? How did that go? Yeah. So surprisingly, um, TV is something you feel like is more branding, right? Mm-hmm. Like you get on TV and it's branding and eventually, you know, they, down the road, they, they use you or they see you on other things. First month I spent three grand and made $35,000, right? So I'm hooked. Pretty right? good ROI. It's, yeah. Good ROI. Um, and that continued, I mean, it may, I think it took me, took me maybe a third month to get it to, to, to you know, the second month was dry and then the third month started doing more deals again. Um, so it's been very consistent since then. It's been five to 11 times ROI, um, you know, throughout the years. Yeah. And, the, and, and, you know, what I don't include in the ROI is the other things that it's helped me with. So direct mail, I do direct mail now again. Uh, I've kind of been on and off with that, but uh, that ties really good with direct mail. So I have as seen on TV on everything else that I do. Yeah. So I do like as seen on TV. I do. Yeah. <laughs> see the t-shirt. So, you, you know, that's, that's the other thing you recognize the brand, right? Or yeah. the, you know, this image, right? Mm-hmm. So when people see things in the store and, and it's, there's an aisle that says as seen on TV, I'm more likely to buy those gadgets. Right. Right. So there's that credibility factor. So, um, sorry, I forgot your question. Again. Well, just the, how fast it, the, it impacted your business? Yeah, so um, so the ROI I was I was referring to. So um, we get deals from our direct mail that TV helped. So mm-hmm. people will say I got a stack of direct mail, but I called you and only you because you're on TV. I don't know these other guys. Um, our margins are better on TV um, because we're usually the only one out there. Um, right. And if we're competing with other people, we've actually had people take our offer that's less than the competitors and they go with us because we're on TV and they trust that we're going to close. You're credible. Yep. Credible. Absolutely. We don't have to explain who we are. I mean, they already feel like they kind of know us. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's, it's been incredible. It's, uh, and inbound leads are, um, are something that I love more than outbound. Outbound is texting and cold calling and all that, you know, yeah. it just takes so much longer to, um, to build credibility with those kind of people. And, there are some legal challenges totally. <laughs> with those marketing uh, mediums as well. Which is why a lot of people are switching over to us and saying, yeah. hey, I'm going to take some dollars from from that and switch it over to you because we are just we know it's coming down the pipe that it's going to get even tougher and tougher for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious, and you know, you've been doing this across the country now, what are some of the, let's say I didn't hire you, right? I was like, hey, you know what? I want to start advertising on TV. Mm. What are some of the best times or some of the best shows to advertise on? Yeah. So we have a secret formula, kind mm-hmm. of, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's uh, basically what we do is we hit people that we know are demographic, which are usually lower income and older, mm-hmm. right? So they're going to watch the shows. I'll just tell one that's probably pretty obvious, Jerry Springer, mm-hmm. you know, during the day. It's lower income, um, you know, that kind of thing. So um, we, You're I feel like, like more trashy TV. Yeah, exactly. If you want to call it that. <laughs> Because we've tested it, right? I mean, we've, we've tested different things. So we, you know, we've tested that kind of stuff and we've tested prime time where it's, you know, instead of, you know, five to $25 commercial, it's a hundred to 300, maybe $500 a commercial, depending on when it's airing. Yeah. So we've tried the expensive stuff and luckily the cheap stuff works yeah. for us. Um, yeah. The, I was going to say, we, we do a lot of direct mail and we use Audantic 
right? Mm-hmm. Chris Richter. And he didn't say this outright, but he kind of implied it that, you know, we all have our, our, our bio, what is it? Print, whatever, right? Data points. Mm-hmm. And he said like some of the best data points is if they smoke cigarettes <laughs> or they play the lotto, right? If they smoke cigarettes or play the lotto, those are probably pretty good indicators for us. So I, I don't know if there's any channels that advertise the lottery a lot, but. <laughs> Actually, that's funny because my, my sister will go into properties sometimes and she's like, oh my gosh, I could not breathe because of all the smoke. So that's funny <laughs> that you say that. <laughs> there's some commonalities. Yeah. Um, and so you've done close to a thousand flips. What were some of the things that you've learned in all those flips? Um. I would say one thing is don't force a deal that's not a deal. Um, I have a lending business too, and I, I've done that on one or two deals this last year, and I, I, I'm paying for it right now. Um, so if the numbers aren't there, don't force them. So don't try and increase the ARV, you know, substantiate that it's a higher than you think it is. Don't, you know, think, oh man, it's 50,000 in repairs and, and, you know, go, man, I can get it to 40 when you don't have bids and that kind of thing, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, so don't force deals, um, hire really good people. So there's that fine line, right? Cause if you hire someone expensive, your numbers aren't going to work. Right. And those are the people that are usually pretty busy anyway. And then you have your lower tier people that can get to it faster. The guy that says, Hey, I can start tomorrow. That's not the guy you want to hire. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there's those lower tier people. So you have to find something in the middle where they're not the cheapest. They're not going to be maybe the top notch, but they're going to be pretty good and dependable, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think just, you know, knowing what level um, of contractor to pick and be at. Um, do good, honest business, you know, don't lie, don't, you know, tell the seller something that, you know, um, that's not true. Um, you know, just be upfront and honest, you know. I, I'm not saying that I, you know, cross the line a lot, but there'd be times where I'd, you know, maybe not say something or do something. And now it's like, you know, why not just say it? You know, yeah. just be honest. Um, and uh, just, you know, good people. You know, we, we keep kind of keep kind of touching on that. Just when you have really good people on your team, it just makes things so much easier. I mean, I've got, you know, six businesses now and I I touch every one of them, but I don't I'm not I'm not fully immersed in any one of them. Uh, I was a little bit last year in, in the TV business because we were, you know, ramping it up. But it was a new business. It was a newer business. Yeah. So, you know, you I, gotta, I needed you gotta, to be in it. You got to spend at least one year with your baby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so on YouTube, Garrett Landry's asking, I mean, I think we kind of answered it already, but and you just, I guess for you to reiterate, best way to find motivated sellers. TV number one, 100%. I'd fight that all day long. And then uh, he's asking another question about comps. And I'm thinking because, you know, ProStream made that announcement <laughs> just a couple of days ago. So what websites do you use to pull comps? My my team's licensed, so we, we pull comps off the MLS. That's going to be your best data by far. We actually um, do lending, right? So we don't have access to MLSs in other places. So we, we get appraisals, but before we approve them, um, it used to be PropStream, we'd pull some comps. Um, you can go on uh, Redfin and Realtor.com mm-hmm. and usually go through and kind of get an idea of what what uh, properties are worth. I would never use that to buy properties, you know, substantiate values. I would definitely want to go through the MLS, but realtor.com and, um, 
Redfin have pretty decent data in most markets. There are some markets where they just don't have a lot of data. Yeah. So, uh, so because your team's licensed, have you guys used RPR? No. What's that? Uh, RPR is it's a something that comes free if you're a realtor, and it's nationwide. So you get tax data all across the country, and it's free. And there's an actual button in there to pull an AVM. Really? Yeah. And so um, we just did the closest Olympics um, not too long ago, mm -hmm. and I was a judge, and I had no intention of doing any comps. I was like, you know, we'll just wait for them to give us the prop stream figure, and then I'll judge based off whatever I get from PropStream. And there were some delays, and I'm not a patient person, so I couldn't wait anymore, so I just started doing all the uh, uh, valuations myself, right? Doing all the ARVs mm -hmm. myself, and I was using RPR, and I never did it nationwide before. It was pretty accurate. So if if my team's licensed in Wichita, Kansas, and we are doing a deal in Atlanta, Georgia, it'll pull data from Atlanta as well? It should. From the MLS? from RPR. So it's a realtor benefit. So like everyone okay. here that's like freaking out about PropStream, if you're a licensed realtor, you get all the information for free across the country. Interesting. I'll yeah. have to check into that. RPR. Yeah. So what's it stand for? Maybe, maybe I have heard of it. I have no idea. I just know it's NARRPR.com. I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. And then on again from uh, Garrett on YouTube, what's some advice for someone that's a year in and struggling to get deals more consistently? pretty obvious TV <laughs> now. Yeah, um, yeah, no, there, there's a lot of different ways. So we do have some newer investors in our program. Mm -hmm. So we, we, uh, manage TV advertising. So my guy drew that got me on TV. Now I partnered with him and now we're getting real estate investors on TV throughout the country. Mm -hmm. Um, we do the front end my, drew the immediate buyer does the back end. So he does all the ad buying and all that kind of stuff. So that is a great way, even for a newer investor. Um, we've got, um, I'd say at least a handful of investors that hadn't really done a deal or have only done a couple of deals and we got them on TV and they're doing really well and getting a lot of deals. Um, you know, we talked about texting and cold calling. Those are the cheapest and easiest way to get started, but it also takes a lot of time and dedication to do it. Right. So um, that's one. If you've got the money, direct mail um, is competitive. So you just want to make sure you, you mentioned Audantic is uh, one place. Um, uh, Mike Hambright, investor machine, investor machine. Mm -hmm. Um, we signed up with him recently, so he's managing our direct mail. Uh, so just having really good lists, if you're going to do direct mail and be consistent with it, you can't just do one direct mail drop and <laughs> expect you're going to start making a lot of money off yeah. of it. Could be the second or third one before it starts hitting. Um, networking. If you're, if you're newer in it and you don't want to spend the money, just call around. I mean, it is tougher these days to, to find deals from realtors, but I think if you, spend enough time and energy, you could probably find, um, you know, find deals from, from agents and then driving for dollars. I, I think that's something that still a lot of people don't do. So driving for dollars, driving around and just buying, working. what's that? It requires working. It does require some work. Absolutely. So the great yeah. thing is there's, um, great apps that where you can drive around, you find a, a distressed property, you put the address in and it'll send direct mail to it. And I think it maybe even does texting and cold calling, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it depends on the app. If you can skip trace them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I can definitely vouch for Investor Machine. You know, we're using that in Phoenix and Oklahoma City. So mm -hmm. Mike Hambright, uh, Jason Lewis is a fantastic uh, product. The other thing, too, I want to add to here is there's two parts, right, of getting deals. Um, there's marketing, right? That's the most important thing because if you're not marketing, 
how are they going to find you? Mm -hmm. But the second thing is sales. Um, you know, right now there's not a shortage of house buyers. <laughs> you can just go on Google and type buy my house and all the ads will be a wholesaler, right? So there's no shortage of, of house buyers. So then how do you separate yourself? And it sells, right? So that's something that we hang our head on is sales. Um, so every business is a sales and marketing business. So don't forget that. So there's two pieces to it. So cheddar on YouTube is, uh, how much does it cost to advertise on TV? You know, it's not as much as you would think. Like I said, the first month I, I spent 3000, um, mm -hmm. for my first month and made 35 grand. So Which that's... is ridiculously low. And the barrier to entry is not very high. Yeah. So here's the thing is if you try and call TV stations yourself, they're going to sell you the most expensive package. Mm -hmm. So you call one station and you say, how much, you know, how much is it to be on TV? They're going to pull this out and they're going to say, here's, here's what I have for you. And it's going to be probably 10 to 15 grand is what they're going to try and charge you yeah. um, out the gate. Of course, they're going to start high and then, you know, work their way down. Um, and then that's just one station, mm -hmm. right? So $3,000 back then, I want to say it was at least two stations. It could have been three. So when we get our clients on TV, it's, it's based on the market. So New York, for instance, it's the number one biggest market. You got to spend 30 grand a month. It's huge, right? So that takes a lot of people out of the game. Um, but as you step it down, it goes down, you know, fairly quickly by size. You know, once you get to, you know, 30 to 40th biggest market in the U.S., you can spend five grand a month in a lot of markets wow. and do well, right? That's shocking. It is. And even some of the, some of the I don't want to say big markets, like, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, for instance, we have uh, people running TV there. Um, that's going to be 10 to 15 grand a month is what you want to spend there. Mm -hmm. uh, but we have little markets where we, we like to have a $5,000 minimum when we get people, uh, you know, signed up as a client. But there's some markets where, you know, I've got, um, I'm not going to name the market. No, I will name it because he, he mentioned it. So on a podcast, but in Florida, we have someone in Gainesville spending um, 30 some hundred dollars a month. And he's getting, I want to say like close to a thousand commercials a month. How much is he spending? 3,800 and he's making, uh, what is he making? I want to say it's like a hundred, uh, somewhere between 50 and hundred grand a month. Wow. Off of that. It's crazy. Yeah. So the RPI is outrageous. Um, and then snaps investment. Are you using any lists to reach out to sellers? And you, you already kind of answered So you want to just repeat that? What uh, lists are you using? I, I don't pull the list. Um, I hire, you know, Mike and Brighton investor machine to pull so the list. Investor so they, machine snaps. Yeah. Uh, Matt Smith, um, can you network with a realtor to get RPR access with a realtor? Uh, so Matt, the official answer is no, but I'll let you read between the lines. Um, Jeremy on YouTube, are you currently experimenting with any new marketing channels? So we did direct mail uh, a while back. We stopped cause it got really competitive. And then I found about Mike. Um, so we started direct mail and my clients from t uh, TV clients, a lot of them were already doing direct mail. So when um, they started TV, they started getting the same feedback that I was getting uh, over the years of, you know, I called you from your direct mail piece because I saw you on TV. So we're like, right. man, we need to, we need to start doing direct mail again. So we, we started that back up, um, direct mail, TV, uh, and PPC are our three main, um, three main marketing methods. Yeah. And where can someone see one of your TV ads? Uh, well, uh, realestatemasterstv.com. Um, you can go on there and kind of see um, 
Uh, you can see glimpses of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you want to go to my buying site, prohomebuyer.com, uh, my commercial's on there as well. Gotcha. Um, and then Real and White, what is the minimum ad spend to join TV with you? Uh, it, it's five grand, but like I said, if there's some markets where we're getting 800 to a thousand commercials, we're not going to make you spend five grand to get 1500 commercials. It's just, you know, there's the diminishing return. Right. Um, so yeah, we like to have five grand, but if you're in a smaller market, there might be a potential of getting, getting in for less than that. And then Shane Hunt's answering the question. RPR is realty property resource. Um, okay. So that's all the questions so far, guys, please ask any questions you guys have. Um, hang on a second. So I guess, uh, for you, um, you've removed yourself from all these other businesses. So what's keeping you going right now? Keeping me going. Um, I just, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's ADD, but when I get into a business, I love it. And then there eventually it's just like, I want to do something new. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, I still talk to my TV clients. I still, I, I'm still pretty fully engaged in that business overall, but I have a team that runs, you know, most of it. Um, I just, I don't know. I just like building things. I like creativity. I think the next thing that I want to do is start buying businesses. So I've built multiple businesses. Mm -hmm. So I have five or six right now that are going, but there's multiple that I've tried and have not succeeded. Um, What are those so I can avoid them? MLMs. (laughs) (laughs) Multi-level marketing is number one. (laughs) Uh, I think I've tried three of those before. That's been a long time ago. Um, But yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I just love business. I love, you know, I, I used to not be a relationship guy. I used to be, I want to go to the office. I want to put my head down. I want to work for eight, 10, 12 hours, 14 hours sometimes, and just do my deal. And uh, I, I got burnt out, number one. And two, I mean, it's it's just lonely when you're in the office by yourself. So I like doing stuff like this. I like doing other podcasts. I like um, building relationships. We have a lot of affiliates that we promote them and they promote us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, just figuring stuff out. Like I said, I like to figure things out. So if there's a business that I could, uh, businesses that I can start buying that, I could be like, man, you can just, there's a few changes you can make there and you can exponentially change what you're doing. That's, I think that's going to be my next move. You know, it's interesting how much, how similar we are. Cause I am also naturally introverted and I was that guy that would go to the company, like leave me alone so I can work. And then you realize, well, that's not the best use of my time. Mm-hmm. Right. So now I'm more relationship oriented. Totally. Um, and we're also, one of the goals for this year is to start acquiring businesses. <laughs> <laughs> so we have, Sales, we figured out sales, right? Uh, we figured out marketing, we figured out um, social media, and we figured out, oh, and the two other things we want to add is uh, a f- uh, financial accounting company because no one, not no one, very few people understand finances. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people need help with that. And then the last thing is hiring. So we want to eventually have a uh, an HR company, a, a human sourcing, you know, business. And once we have all those pieces in place, it doesn't matter what business we acquire. Go plug and play. <laughs> just, it's like flipping houses, right? Once yeah. You, once you flip a house, then you know how to flip another and another. And then the same thing with businesses. Absolutely. It's just, you need to do some bigger numbers. Right. 
So that's what I'm excited about. So it's it's, it's funny to hear, right? It's, we're trying to do the same thing. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, what is your biggest struggle right now? Um, man, I'll tell you, um, things are things are really good right now. Biggest struggle is I I, I only work about forty hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I go to the office between seven and eight and I promise my wife I'm home at five for our little boy and for family time. So I've been pretty good at that. Um, but I think my biggest struggle is just wanting to take on so much, you know, and still, even though I'm out of those businesses, I still do step into them a little bit too much. So I could utilize my time a little bit better doing uh, other things like looking at other businesses, mm-hmm. but I, I can be a little bit OCD. So like when a newsletter is going out, I'm like, let me look at the newsletter. I need, I, you know, I want to make sure it's worded correctly. I want to make sure, you know what I'm saying? It's just little things I do like that. I think honestly, that's my biggest struggle is just getting, you know, out of some of those things. Actually, number one is email. Yeah. hundred percent email. I get so many emails. I've tried to hire it out but it's such a struggle because by the time I train someone and I tell them how to answer things, it's just easier for me to do it myself for yeah. the most part. So I'm sure there's a medium somewhere where I can find someone to just, you know, respond to them and not even tell me about them. But that's probably. Yeah. So we, I've had two different people go through it and answer them for me. And, um, I'm going to need a third person. <laughs> really? Well, no, I'm saying I need a different person. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. So that's yeah. actually something we decided yesterday in our, uh, they're not level 10 meetings anymore. They're win meetings. We switched to empire model. Mm. And uh, with that, we're like, okay, this is something that I need help with some more. So we're going to hire someone else. But you are doing your emails right now yourself? Oh, no. No one's monitoring it right now. So it's it's, it's great. I just side out of mind, right? Yeah. I mean, if it's a big enough problem, they'll call me. Right. So uh, you already talked about it earlier, uh, but we'll talk about it again. You know, your superpower, mm-hmm. figuring things out. So... What do you attribute that to and how can someone, you know, get better at, you know, that resourcefulness component? I think it's just will and determination. So I've had probably two or three pretty low points in my business. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them I told you about. And um, even in those low points where I was pretty down, I still went to work and I still, you know, got after it. Right. Even though I wasn't in the right state of mind sometimes where I'm just like, you know, trying want to give up, go find another job or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's just sure will and determination. Um, so I say figure things out, but it's mostly because I'll just push through. I'll just go. Someone tells me, you know, go build a, a 10 story building. Never done it before. I'll tell you what, I'll go do it. I'll do it by the end of the year. I'll yeah. figure out how to do it. You know what I mean? It's just and I think I'm just wired that way. I think you're wired that way. It's high D personality. Mm-hmm. So luckily we're like, there's only like 10 to 20% of us, I think that have that. I think less than that. Might be less than that. I think it's five. It could be, it could be. So, um, we had a RJ Bates on the show where we're talking about like this irrational confidence, right. mm -hmm. And this willingness to, to fail is like, they could send us off to war and we've never had any training. Like, all right, let's go (laughs) for sure. And we would be terrible at it, but in our heads we would crush it. And eventually that, uh, you know, was it that, um, uh, what is it when you see it, you make it happen? Is that, um, visualization? It's like, uh, you know, in the newspaper, right? When the newspaper says like the economy is going to crash, then the economy will crash. Right. So it's that whatever you put out there will happen. So yeah. like you put out, you have this irrational confidence. Eventually your, your reality <laughs> will line up with what, with what was once 
an irrational idea. So true. Yeah. So true. Because you, you've probably shared some things with people and they're like, there's no way. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, yeah, there is. Yeah. For sure there is. Eventually. <laughs> uh, yeah. Might take a long time. Maybe but 20 <laughs> years, maybe next year. I don't know, but it's going to happen. Yeah. So what is the greatest lesson you've learned? Greatest lesson I've learned. Um, I think just know that everything's going to be fine. You know, it's things happen. Like I said, I've had some low points in, in my, my business. And if I look back, they really weren't, shouldn't have been that low, you know, cause you know, you're riding a wave and then something kicks you down here. It's like, it's just going to be a matter of time before it comes back up. Right. You know, just like the stock market, just like anything else. Um, I think people take things too, um, I don't want to say seriously, but you know, when things happen, it's just like, you get really down. It's just, mm -hmm. you can get down, but pick yourself back up and, and just know that everything's going to be fine. Like yeah. if I lost everything tomorrow, which I've been there before where I thought I was going to, you know, just go out of business or things were going to, you know, hit the fan, always came back stronger. Yeah, always the, came back stronger. One of my, uh, first coaches I hired, you know, he had this thing where like, you know, the difference between champions and everyone else is how long it takes to go from getting knocked off your horse to getting back on, right? It's not uncommon to get knocked off and take three to six months to get back on, but you're not gonna be a champion with that mindset, right? Like you just get right back on mm -hmm. and that's the difference. Uh, Kai Nguyen on YouTube, when is the right time for someone to get into TV marketing? Uh, we have people in all ranges. Like I said, we've got probably a handful that were newer, newer. Well, actually, when I say new, I'm saying they've done either no deals or they just done a few deals. Mm -hmm. um, and then we've got some that have come to us that have been it for a year, doing a deal a month, something like that. Um, and then we have a lot of clients that are doing 50 to 100 plus deals a year. So what it comes down to is, are you ready to take the leads? Because there's sometimes we turn on TV and they're going to get 100 calls their first month. I mean, it's just going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so you're ready for TV. Can you afford it? Um, it's not as expensive as you think, but you know, even 3000 a month is a lot, lot for people. So, um, commit to at least three months of doing it to know it's going to work. I like to say six, but usually within three months, our clients are already crushing it pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then the size of the market. So, like I said, even if someone can spend $10,000 a month in, in, in New York, if they want to do New York, we're not going to do it because we can't get them enough commercials. We feel like to substantiate it. Um, so I think those are the three things you need to look at. And if all three of those line up with you, you can spend the money, you're in the right market and you feel like you can handle the volume of calls or figure out how to handle the volume of calls, mm -hmm. then it could be a really good way to, to get you jump started. And then, uh, Raylan White wants to know what makes you different than other guys who manage investor TV ads? What makes me different? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not the first guy on the show. So what's that? <laughs> yeah. The first guy on the show that does this. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I've never talked to him, but, um, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I would say we both, I don't know enough about, uh, their business to know exactly how they run their back end. There's a lot of similarities and there's some differences. Right. Um, I don't know. I don't want to go too deep into that, but, um, I think we both are, have clients that are doing really well. Yeah. So we'll leave it at that. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, what is the best way to someone else to find someone that does TV managing? I mean, I think you probably want a softball for you right there. 
Say that again. Best way to find someone to broker TV commercials. Oh, yeah, yeah. We do that all day long. So it's kind of like, um, who is it? I think it's Chris Arnold. He says, uh, pay, you know, Chris Arnold, he's oh, yeah. pay for speed, mm-hmm. right? So if you want to do it yourself, go for it. I mean, I, I never want to say, hey, you know, we're 100% the best way to go. But most of the time we are, because if you were to try and do a TV ad yourself, like I said, you're going to call the stations. They're going to try and sell you the most expensive stuff. You don't know what time slots to be on. We've already tested all that. Um, uh, you know, you're paying for speed and you're paying for accuracy, right? So we've actually had some experienced investors come to us and say, we started to do TV, like we started the process of doing TV, but it was too expensive or the reps wouldn't call us back or we couldn't figure out the script. I mean, there's so many different pieces to it. So it's kind of like open up a burger joint. Would you rather have McDonald's show you how to do it and then bam, you're off the ground right away? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to try it yourself and figure out you know, how to make the burger and what machines to use and, you know, all that. It's just, just make it's sure just you don't get burger. the McFlurry machine because it never works. You buy one? No, I'm just saying every time you go to McDonald's, I buy oh, one of those things, it just is always broken. Uh, so we didn't spend enough time here talking about wholesale because Rudy Gonzalez is asking, what is your experience with wholesale? Wholesaling? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't wholesale. So I do all rehabbing. Uh, so I partnered up with other people in, in markets to to JV with them and do TV commercials together. So mm-hmm. we're so they're wholesaling, um, we're splitting the costs and and re, you know some responsibilities with my team. Um, I don't love wholesaling. Um, I love closing on properties. We do a little bit of wholesaling where if we feel like it's in a good enough uh, good enough area and uh, good enough condition, then we'll put it back on the market. And if especially if we can make as much money as if we did flipping it, right? Right, which um, we can today. But right now I'm burying everything. I'm keeping ninety um, some percent of what we buy, um, partly for tax reasons, partly because I think the market's going to keep going up. You yeah. know, I bought a property back in uh, April of last year, and um, it became vacant. And uh, my sister said, "Do you want to sell it?" I said, "You know, let's just throw it on the market and see what we can get for it." And I looked at what we estimated it was worth back in April of last year of 2021. So what um, nine months later. It went from 110 to 135 in Wichita, Kansas. I mean, 25 grand of appreciation in significant. Now, is that going to happen every year? Probably not. But I still think even if it increases five grand a year or something like that, which it probably will. I mean, I think there are a lot of people that are um, bullish on the Midwest because all the hedge funds are coming in and they need to deploy that capital somewhere. So they're taking their money from the big markets and going to the Midwest? I don't think they even have to take the money from the big markets. I think they just have so much capital, they just need to buy real estate everywhere. Oh, yeah, 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 right. right. So I think uh, it's interesting to see what's going to happen, but I think uh, people are chasing cap rates, and cap rates in the Midwest are far sexier than the cap rates out here (laughs) or in California. Yeah, and just all over the U.S., I mean, think about it. Prices are going up, so even if someone has a house to sell and they want to cash out, what are they going to buy? They're going to buy something that's just as expensive, right? And the, there's no inventory out there. So even if they sell their house, they're going to be homeless because they're, you know, they're going to have to compete with a bunch of other people. So there's a huge like trickle effect. And mm. we have the younger generation that's starting to buy houses. And then someone else said something the other day that was really good. Um, oh, what was it? I'll think about it here. In a minute. It was Jason Hartman that said something, but he's, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's so many different factors right now that anybody that says the market's going to crash soon, I'm like, there's no way. Like, San Diego, 14 days of inventory, 14 days of inventory. So a healthy market is three to six months, right? 14 days to even, you have to get to a six months of inventory. It's just, 
yeah, I don't see it happening. Yeah, it has, it has to be something cataclysmic, and Corona was not it. Yeah. Uh, Michael Joseph is asking, um, in your opinion, does acquisition of PropStream, you know, where they sold to Stewart, does that change anything for wholesalers? Well, I think just what you mentioned, the data, um, sold properties evidently, and I haven't followed the whole thing. I've just seen little blips on Facebook, mm -hmm. but obviously you can't pull sold comps anymore off of there. And then I had someone else who black la or white labels uh, off of PropStream, and they said it's going to change soon. Oh, it has to. So Yeah, the white labeling, it has to change. No, no, no. no. I'm saying that they white labeled PropStream uh -huh. under their own name. So they have the insight. They were saying that the sold data is going to come back to them. I guess it got blocked for some reason, mm -hmm. is what I understand. Yeah, I heard uh, the rumor is that NAR said they don't want sold data in there, so they unplugged it. So okay. I, I, I don't know how the white labels will be able to address that unless they get a different solution. Well, they should have the same data as PropStream. I know what I'm saying, but I think NAR, I mean, this is the same reason why Zillow opened brokerages across the country, was so they can plug directly into the MLS, mm. right? So unless PropStream gets MLS data somehow, uh, whoever provided the data to them. I before. would imagine they'll figure it out, especially if they pay that much for PropStream. Well, I mean, they got bought by a title company, so there's got to be some sort of resource. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Um, Cassie Williams on Facebook, when you do wholesale, do you use a separate LLC as you do for your flips, or is it all in the same LLC? So that was one big learning lesson. So at one point, I had all of my flips and all of my rentals in one LLC. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I realized uh, a few years ago that was not the way to do it. Um, things just got, I didn't realize that things were making money and losing money or breaking even. And, you know, once you have them separated, it's a lot easier. So we separated all of our rentals. So all of my rentals are in one LLC and my flipping company is in another. And I think I need to take it even one step further and do the operations in another account and then the flipping, you know, the rehabs in, 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 uh, in another. Um, so, yeah, any, anytime you can separate that. I mean, there's a certain point where you want to do that. If you got a couple properties, that's not probably not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, but once you get to a certain point, you probably want to um, take those assets and protect them from each other. So if you get sued from flipping, they don't hopefully affect your rentals. Um, so yeah, we have our flipping and our rentals in, in two different companies. Yeah, we just recently broke out our flipping company from our operations company. So even though our operations max cash offers is flipping, we'll close on it in a different LLC where the only member is max cash offers, mm -hmm. but it's a separate LLC. And then so you just pay that money back to the operations company. Yeah, yeah. so then, because the bookkeeping was not fun. <laughs> having the flipping company being the same as the operations company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So particularly because the operations is uh, also doing our wholesale. So right. it was just easier just like, all right, all expenses are now in the flipping LLC and that's it. My sister's going to kill me. I, I open up a new bank account every few months. Yeah. Every time I do, she's like, gosh. I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah. We, we need to hire. So right now we have it, our bookkeeping delegated to three different people. Mm -hmm. Um, one internal, two outsourced, and so we just need to hire one person to manage it all. Yeah, eventually. And that's kind of going back to what I was saying. Like, eventually, we're going to want to have an accounting company. Yeah. Where they do all Why that. Why don't you acquire one? Or acquire one. Yeah, is one or the other. You've seen the profit, right? Oh yeah, that's he's, the. He's one of my heroes. Yeah, he's done. He's done that a lot. Where I'll buy a sign company mm -hmm. so that he can outfit or so he can use that company for all of his. Yeah, they other all. Companies. It's this massive ancestral. Yeah thing where beautiful. they're all buying from each other. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and you know, who their initial role model for me 
is uh, Richard Gere in uh, Pretty Woman, right? Do you remember that? I remember Pretty Woman, but I tell me what you're talking about. Well, so she was like, what do you do? And he was like, well, you know, I buy and sell companies. So he would go in there and optimize it like office space, you know, like <laughs> rework it and then sell the company. I'm going to have to rewatch that. I don't remember that part. Yeah. I well, probably watched it before I really got into business. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, I watched it when I was like, you know, like, I don't know, like 10 or 11, but I was like, I want to do that someday. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, Cheddar uh, on YouTube is listing a property, a wholesale property contract on MLS more profitable than closing and reselling. So a single close versus a double close, but you don't really wholesale. So you don't really, you wouldn't wholesale off the MLS. Yeah. So we, uh, I was talking to one of my TV clients one time and he said, um, I said, what are your typical wholesale fees? And he said, Oh, you know, 10 to 15, if we hit a home run 2025, I said, for your market and what you're doing, I bet you can make a lot more money. So why don't you close on them, put them on, and then you know raise the money to close on them, put them, put them on the MLS and resell them. So his next two properties, he did that. And he called me, actually he was, he was on one of our group calls. And he goes, I wanna thank you for our conversation a couple months ago. He's getting ready to close on two of those. And instead of making a $20,000 wholesale fee, we're gonna make over a hundred grand nice. on each of those. Now, of course, the market was really hot and still is Markets hot at that point. Up. Markets helped a lot of us, but there's nothing wrong with that. But even even if it wasn't a hot market, I, I, he priced it would have made 30, 40, 50 grand, which would have been better than his 20 grand wholesale fee. So mm -hmm. I always tell people if they know their numbers, uh, close on it and put on the MLS. You're going to get so exposed to so many more buyers and it's, it's a feeding frenzy. It's crazy. And you do lending. Mm -hmm. So how does that work? Is this for your TV clients only or is that open for everybody? No, we do some for our TV clients. So we do gap funding, um, which is a huge need. So there's no other company that I know of that really does this where we'll provide down payment money and closing cost money uh, to real estate investors to do their deals. So we, you know, you have your hard money lenders and private lenders that do first positions. We'll come in as a second position. And that way the investor has to come up with little to no money uh, mm -hmm. at the front end of the transaction. Right. So that's gotta be a lot higher risk. It's gotta be more expensive. Oh yeah. It's much higher risk for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you charge for something like that? Uh, it, it just depends. It's deal by deal, but usually 20% fee mm -hmm. for to use our money for six months. So, yeah. which for a small part of the part, part of the deal isn't that much. So 30 grand, you're going to pay me six grand. Yeah. You know, so, so it might sound like, you know, the 20% might sound kind of scary, but comparatively speaking, how much you're paying on hard money costs, it's really not that much more for 100% financing. Mm -hmm. And you know what else they get from me too is we're in second position, so I vet those deals pretty hard. So I have my guy do his analysis, he brings them to me, and I'll nitpick the heck out of them. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be like, why are you wanting to put $50,000 down to this contractor for $100,000 rehab? interest in this. He is going to run with most of your money. You yeah. know? So there's a lot of things like that that we do for our clients looking at deals where I've done a lot of deals. So I can look at something and within five minutes usually find something that they're not seeing. Right. Right. So it's not just the value of the money or the cost of the money, but it's also we're doing the deal with you and helping you bet. I mean, you, all, you have a built in underwriter that's on your side. That's mm -hmm. not like the one that's trying to kill the deal, yeah. but the one that's actually underwriting for the right reasons. And the ones that are in first position are willing to take more risk because they're in first position. Whereas yeah. I'm in second position, I'm not well, willing first to position, take. First position with equity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So, uh, Syra Harris, what's your social media info? 
Um, well, you can look me up on Facebook, um, Tony Javier. You can follow my personal page. I think I'm maxed out on my friends. Um, love for you to follow me there. And then um, at real Tony Javier. I don't post a lot on Instagram, so. We'll work on that. Don't, yeah, we're, we're going to buy a business to help us do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, is there a book you've gifted more than any other? Traction. In fact, for Christmas, we send out a box um, with um, some goodies for our clients. One of these was these T-shirts here that you can see. Mm-hmm. These are pretty cool. And then um, traction. So we um, actually, for our, our clients, we have an EOS implementer. So traction <clears throat> is basically a business book um, that helps you to organize your business better by running meetings better and hiring better and all that kind of stuff. Uh, EOS is what they call the system they talk about in it. And so we hired an EOS implementer to coach our clients, even though we're doing just TV, I like to add a lot more value to our clients. So we have to make sure they're successful. Yeah. Yeah. And if I add value to them, they're, you know, they're just going to stay with us longer. Um, and, uh, so traction for sure. Um, you know, we sent out over a hundred books this over Christmas. So that's That's a good book to read. Uh, what do you, uh, think about what, what you want to leave the listeners with? Well, I mean, just one quick announcement. Um, guys, if you get value today, please like, share, subscribe, comment, whatever. It helps us reach more people. And we do have our workshop coming up in a couple of, and I'm sorry, in six weeks where you can come to our office and see our whole operation. So if you want to check that out, uh, go to disruptors.com slash workshop and you can join our wait list. Um, and you're going to see our whole operation. We don't have the biggest operation. We did a million dollars last year. Um, so we do enough to qualify <laughs> to be on the show. Um, so if you guys are interested in, in learning how we do our whole operation, go to disruptors, disruptors.com slash workshop. So what are some last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? You know, there was a something on Facebook the other day. Someone said, and it was actually a pretty big name. He said, there's no such thing as an elevator to the top. And I almost wanted to chime in and be like, there actually is. Sometimes you just have to take the stairs to get there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because things don't have to be as hard as you think they are. Um, so I talked about the first 10 years of my business and the second 10 years of my business. It was substantially different. Obviously, I learned a lot the first 10 years, but also the second 10 years, I asked for help, went to Mastermind, started my own Mastermind, actually. I have my own Mastermind now, too. Um, uh coaches, masterminds, hanging out with, you know, a group. like I, pl- I played pickleball yesterday with a group of guys in San Diego, all successful real estate investors. Yeah. There's always something there I pick up that we talk about. Someone will be like, hey, did you, uh, you know, take your PPP or not PPP, your EIDL? Like, mm-hmm. you know, this was several months ago. Someone's like, you know, you can get a million dollars from from your EIDL. And I went online, applied for it and got like several hundred thousand dollars from it. And I wouldn't have known had I not, you know, been around yeah. those guys. So just surrounding yourself with the right people. I think what it comes down to is support. So if, if you have the right people that you can call when something's wrong and, uh, or not even just wrong, but like, you know, like if I want to do something with my sales team, if I called you up, Steve, or, you know, I got on one of your group calls, like, you know, the value that you could provide that you work with so many real estate investors around the country to be able to just call you and say, hey, something's not working here. Mm-hmm probably within five to 10 minutes, you can probably give me something that could be gold that could make me a ton of money or save me a lot of time. Right. So just having a lot of support and just, you know, trying to figure out how to automate everything you do. Um, you know, I thought that I had to have my hands in everything for so long and control it. And when it comes down to it is there's always going to be somebody that does something better than you. 
Yeah. So I thought I was the best with sellers. I thought I was the best with project management. And man, I'll tell you what, I, after I stepped out of those positions, I realized, I realized how much I didn't like it because I, I had more energy, mm-hmm. you know, cause there's things that suck your energy and things that bring your energy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just stepping out of those things and, and finding people that could step in and do better than I could. It's been a game changer. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's a huge mindset shift that we have to get out, out of our own way. Uh, so I know you said it just a moment ago, but just again, if someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, just go to realestatemasterstv.com. Again, realestatemasterstv.com. We do um, semi-exclusivity in markets. So if someone wants to do TV and markets, uh, certain markets, then um, they can apply and see if, um, see if number one, they're a good fit because we don't want just anybody on TV. We want to make sure someone's ready. Um, and then also go to tonyjavier.com. So if you want to uh, look at lending, if someone wants to look into the lending business, they can um, go there. And actually, all, all the stuff that I do is on tonyjavier.com as well. So Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having Appreciate me, it. Steve. It was a blast. Appreciate you, buddy. Thank you guys for watching. See you all next week.